on today's message from Harvest Church of God. There is a God in heaven, and that God loves you, cares about you, will forgive you, take you in the family, and establish you, and there'll be fellowship with God forever. I said, I believe there are some people in this room that have been translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. If you're not doing anything to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the devil will leave you alone. Say push. Push. What does push mean? Pray until something happens. Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for a friend. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Giving and loving go together, don't they? They really do. Father, we thank you now for the opportunity to stand in this place. Hundreds of times have gone over my head that I have stood in this same spot, preached to many of these same people. And I ask you, O Lord, for something today of which I'm not worthy. I ask you, O Lord, to give me an open door of utterance that I might speak with grace and truth to the people of what God's Word has to say. When, O Lord, that your Word is a lamp to our feet, it's a light to our path. Your Word is in our mouth, it's sweet in our mouth. And we pray, O Lord, right now that you would help us to attend our uh, faculties and our minds upon what the Spirit has to say to the church. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 amen and amen. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 51, verse uh, 1 through 3 is where we'll begin. Isaiah, as I told you, is called the messianic promise giver. When God makes mention of his love for all of us and his redemptive provision, the first mention of God's redemptive activity takes place in a conversation uh, with God and uh, Adam when he says to him that the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. It's in Genesis 3.15. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's uh, given that name because it is the first mention of redemption and fallen man being delivered and restored and healed. And uh, so for that reason, all things go back to this uh, passage in 3.15 in Genesis, that, it, that is the Proto-Evangelium, and carries with it the rule of first mention. Uh, the rule of first mention in Bible uh, inquiry, theological inquiry, is that if God says it one time, He'll say it again. And if God ever establishes uh, a principle that uh, you'll find other activity, other words, other sentences, things that will connect to that first mention. In other words, God never violates His Word. The Bible said it is impossible for God to lie. God will always have a, a principle of blessing and a principle of providing, and He'll always be true to what His Word says about that. If you want to know God, go to His Word. If you want to know more about God, then go to His Word. If you want to know how God acts and how God does, then go to the Word of God. You'll find those answers there. Uh, how benevolent is God? How kind is God? How, how about His mercy? All of those questions are answered in the Word of God and all reflect back to the bruising of the head of the serpent. God's will and God's purpose in the earth will not be thwarted. God's will and God's purpose will one day be accomplished. What He intended for Eden, a garden, that will be accomplished one day, and not just a thousand-year millennial reign, but it will be accomplished by peace on earth forever and eternity. You see, some will uh, look at those words and they will try to read into those words something that oftentimes is not really there. But when God, the Bible said, He is our peace, Peace is not a person. Peace uh, is not a thing, rather. Peace is a person. Peace, Jesus said, He is our peace. Our peace. The Bible said the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. 
and with his stripes we're healed. So we have this connection to uh, God and this salvific activity that takes place in every person's life. I hope everybody in this room is saved. The Bible said, let the redeemed say so. That's awful meek, I'm telling you. We better try that again. I don't think the Lord would be pleased with such a meager effort. And what we, we think so little about what he did in our lives. I said, I believe there are some people in this room that have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Amen. I believe there are saved people sitting here today in this house. Amen. And the old song says, I can tell you now the time. I can take you to the place where the Lord saved me by his wonderful grace. That's all well and good. That's fantastic. But I want to tell you, my salvation is not predicated upon my ability to remember. My salvation is not predicated upon my ability to know the date and what time it was and who was present. There's only one thing that determines my salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou and thy household, and thou shalt be saved. Hey, so you don't have to remember the exact day and what time it was and all the other things that were present on that day. It, it doesn't rest upon that. He saves to the uttermost them that believe. Amen. And to those who believe, the Lord is precious. He's precious to them that believe. I wish I could tell you that God's Word is full of steadfastness of God's people, but it's uh, kind of a different story than that. There are so many times that Israel wanders away from God. So many times that Israel adopts uh, strange gods. And the Bible said they make the heart of God jealous for his people with their whoredom and with their harlotry, that they do things that are outside the covenant that they have with God. And when they do those kind of things, it grieves the heart of God. And I want to tell you, God also chastises people. Is there anybody here that's ever took a whooping? Well, you ought to be loud about that because here's a verse. It says, no person can call himself a child of God unless he has been chastised by the rod of the Father. In fact, Paul said he was an illegitimate child. I won't use the word because some of you might get offended. Your ears are a little tender. But, uh, well, I'll just say what, can I say what the Bible said? The Bible says, he that says he knows the Lord and has never felt the lash of the Father, he is a bastard and an illegitimate child and not a son. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He must love me a whole lot. He, as one guy told one time, he said, he's just crazy about you. Well, thanks be to God, I, I'm glad he's crazy about me. I sure am glad he loves me. I'm sure glad that when I go astray and do things that are not pleasing to them, he'll kind of let me know that I'm needing an adjustment and need to get back in, in line. He corrects. He chastens people. This particular scripture is in a time when Israel has just messed up so badly. They've gone astray, but there is a remnant, a remnant. I preached not long ago about a remnant. That, that we need to understand God will always have a people. They may not be in the majority. They may not be the flashiest, most famous but God will always have a people. There will always be a remnant. There will always be somebody that refuses to bend and bow 
There'll always be a people somewhere in God's purview that are true to their grace covenant and true to what God called them to do. But I want to tell you, when you're the remnant and you're outnumbered and you're kind of in a struggle and you're in a place where you have to really be disciplined in order to maintain your relationship, it's easy to get discouraged in those times. I'm going to ask one you can all vote for this time. Anybody ever been discouraged? I told you, we'd win that vote. That's 100%. Because the Bible said many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Discouragement. You know, the devil had a yard sale one time, and uh, he had a particular tool there on his table, and it was way priced, way higher than everything else. And someone said, why have you got that price so high? Discouragement. He said, because it's the most valuable one I got. It works better than any other tool I got. It gets better results. It does more uh, successful things because, and that's the reason it, it's priced high. Because discouragement is a tool that he uses to great advantage. My dad used to, bless his heart, he wouldn't say discouraged, he'd say disencouraged. You don't need to be disencouraged. And I, I bet I told him dozens of times, Daddy, there's not a word disencouraged. Leave the N out, it's just discouraged. He said, well, I've said it that way for 40 years, and I'll just keep on saying it like I want to. I said, he said, you know what I mean when I say disencouraged. It means you're not encouraged. It means it's anything but being encouraged. It means it's right the opposite, completely on the other end to say disencouraged. Wow. Well, we've got some disencouraged people here in the people of God. Listen to what it says, Isaiah 51, 1 through 3. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness. Now, he's speaking to a very small group because the rest of them are idle, toting pagans. They've already given themselves over to giving worship to idle gods and to pagan gods. And here God is saying to them, I'm talking to ye that follow after righteousness. Ye that seek the Lord. Now, we don't hear a whole lot about that much in these days because seek is laborious. To seek after the Lord means you got to put forth an effort. It means you got to really get it sincere. You really got to get down to business when you seek the Lord. But huh, God said, they that seek me, with their whole heart will find me. In fact, he said, seek me early in the morning and you'll find me. If you seek the Lord with your whole heart, the Bible said that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, we could preach the rest of the time on seeking God. Is there any seekers in here? Are there any people that seek after God, that pursue a path of righteousness and right relationship with God so that you can have that kind of relationship with him. And he said to these people, you're people who seek the Lord, look unto the rock which ye are hewn and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. What is he saying? He's saying, remember, look back, hearken, give attention Stop what you're doing and, and consider this. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry out of which you have been digged. Remember the rock and don't forget the quarry where that rock was digged. Praise God. What's he saying? He said, remember who you are. Remember how I, I found you. And remember how I came to you when you were destitute. You were despondent. You were desperate. Had no certain dwelling place. And I found you. I found you polluted in your own blood. 
I, I found you thrown out in a field, abandoned like a baby had been thrown away by its mother. Wow. You mean we were in that kind of condition when God found us? Well, Paul put it this way. He said we were without hope and didn't have God in this world, hopeless, lost in darkness, in bondage, all kinds of descriptive metaphorical terms that would tell us life was miserable for us when God found us. He says, look at Abraham, your father. Look to Sarah that bore you. For I called him alone, and I blessed him, and I increased him. And the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all of her waste places. Spiritually speaking, there are a lot of waste places for Christians to be. There are a lot of places wandering in the wilderness. Do you remember when Hagar ran away from her mistress and was sitting at the well and the angel of the Lord appeared to her? He said, Whence comest thou and what aileth thee? Boy, what, what two questions. Where are you coming from and what's wrong? What aileth thee? And she said, I'm running from the face of my mistress, for I am despised in her eyes. You ever been to a place where you were in a barren wasteland? A, a land that wasn't pleasant for anything or anybody, and you found yourself in that place? You know, the Hebrew word is Lodabar. Can you say Lodabar? Lodabar. When... David became king, he remembered that he was friends with Jonathan and that Jonathan had helped him many times. Jonathan is now dead and gone, but he has a son whose name is Mephibosheth. And the Bible said he was lame on his feet, couldn't walk, lame on his feet because his nurse dropped him when he was a baby. Did you know there are a lot of folks that are messed up now because somebody dropped them? There are a lot of folks that are going through difficult and hardship, wrestling with uh, spirits and wrestling with all kinds of bad things because somebody dropped them. Somebody just didn't carry them right. Whoo, come on, I'm preaching now. Somebody just didn't carry them right. You see, when you're not carried right, a lot of bad things happen. When you're not carried right, you're in a dangerous, precarious place. And many people suffer the fall. In fact, he was lame and, and walked with a limp all of his life because his nurse dropped him when she was carrying him. You know, there are people that were offended and hurt by something that happened 25, 30 years ago. Crushed their heart, crushed their spirit. And the result of it is they're crippled. Crippled from a fall. Crippled from a fall. And David asked, he said, are there any of the house of Jonathan left that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And a man who represents the Holy Ghost. He was a servant. He said, there is one. And said, he's ran for his life. When all the sons of Saul were being killed, he ran away. And he's down on the plain of Lodebar. He was in one of those waste places. He was in one of those destitute, despondent places. And David said, you go and find him and bring him back. Bring him back. You know, that's what God tells us to do. Go and find them, help to win them, win the lost at any cost. In other words, we're the ones that are supposed to go and find those people that are in those waste places and tell them, if you'll come with me, the king has sent word 
that there's pardon and there's forgiveness for you back at the Father's house. Not only is there forgiveness for you, there's fellowship with you because the king told me to tell you that you're going to sit at the king's table continually. In fact, the king told me to tell you that everything that belonged to your father, he's going to give that to you. There's a fortune waiting on you if you go back to the father's house. There's family. There's faith. There's forgiveness. There's fortune. And all you got to do is get up and let's go back home. Praise God. And I can say that to every man and woman, every boy, every girl today that there is waiting on you fellowship at the table of the Lord. There's waiting on you family at the table of the Lord. There's waiting upon you fortune at the family of God. There's waiting for you forgiveness and blessing and healing and restoration if you'll come back to the house of the Lord. Hey, that's the message today for a lost generation. That's the message today for families that, that need healing. It's the message today for people that are addicted and, and in bondage to drugs and alcoholism. It's the message that the church should be proclaiming from the master, the housetops, and telling everybody there is a God in heaven and that God loves you, cares about you, will forgive you, take you in the family and establish you and there will be fellowship with God forever. Here these people are on the, in a, a desolate place. And he says, remember, remember your, who your father is. Your father's Abraham. The Bible said he called him, called him the father of all the faithful. Sarah, who bore the, the first uh, in, her, in her womb, that bare you. And I, I called him alone, God said, and I blessed him and I increased him. And the Lord will comfort you. No matter what you're going through, he says, I will comfort you. He will comfort all of her waste places, and he will make her wilderness like Eden. We know what a great place Eden was, don't we? And God says to everyone that's lost and in the wilderness and in a waste place, he's saying, I'll make you blossom like the rose. I'll make streams in the desert. I'll make great things happen in your life, and instead of being in a waste place, you'll be in a beautiful garden. Praise God. I want to tell you something. When the Lord saved me, he picked me up out of the wilderness, and he put me in a beautiful garden. What is the name of that garden, Pastor? Righteousness. Right standing with God. Fellowship with God. For the first time, I, I stood on good ground with God. For the first time, I didn't have to trust in my own righteousness. For the first time, I had a, a Savior who died on a cross and gave himself for me, and it became a, a garden for me. It was in that garden that I found the rose of Sharon. It was in that garden that I found the lily of the valley. It was in that garden that I found the stem of Jesse. It was in that garden that I found peace and, and blessing through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the brightest of all uh, botanical uh, flowers. He is the great I am. He's the one that heals us. He's the one that delivers us. He's the one that supplies every need that we have according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Talk about coming out of the wilderness. I landed right smack dab in a garden. Thanks be to God. And God said, all of that waste area, I've changed that into a garden. And her desert is like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found. Thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Wow. What, when does that happen? When I remember where I came from. When I remember what God brought me from. When I remember how God delivered me and broke those chains of bondage off of me. How he translated me and delivered me from the power of darkness and changed me and translated me into the kingdom of his dear son. What a wonderful exchange that was. 
And he's saying to everyone in this house, don't you ever forget it. Don't you ever forget it. Don't you ever let it pass. Don't ever get to the place that you have little regard for what God did when he saved you. Don't ever hold your peace with God in little regard. Thank him every day. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for delivering me from the awful terror and the awful tyranny of sin. Thank you, God, for making a way for me when there was no way. Thank you, God, for bringing what I needed into my life when there was no friend to give it to me. There wasn't an heir. There wasn't anything. All I had was just me. But thanks be to God, he heard me when I cried out to him and brought me out of that wilderness and put me in a garden and gave me joy and gave me peace. And he said, when you're having a rough time and you're in a waste place and faith is all you got, remember, remember the rock from whence you were hewn. Remember the quarry from whence it was dug. Now, what we're, what we're doing right here is looking at this first century Palestine. Now, all of those busts of great leaders are wonderful to look at. They're sculptured out of marble. But marble is not indigenous to Palestine in the Middle East. Marble comes from Europe. So they had to transport the, that marble in, and it came in in large blocks of, of marble. The quarry that they quarried that piece of marble. But the next time you saw that piece of marble, you found out somebody had taken a sculptor's chisel and had chiseled out the face, recognizable face of someone to which they were putting up a statue. And next time you saw that marble, it had taken a shape and taken a form and an identity. And here, they were very used to that. You see, first century Palestine was Hellenized. What does that mean, Pastor? They spoke Greek. They had Greek customs because Alexander the Great had conquered worlds and kingdoms. And the Bible said he sat down and wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. But he left his mark, Maurice, so indelibly upon society then that every time you looked at a sculpture, you would see that this great general had probably brought that about. So when they looked at those, those things, they saw that an identity had been chiseled out of a rock. Do you know what God's goal is for every one of you? Do you know that God, the divine sculptor, is chiseling away at everything in your life, trying to make you look like someone, and who is that someone? You can say it loud. Jesus. You're cheating, Pastor. You got a microphone. Jesus. Jesus. Sweetest name I know. Fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. When God found me, I was in that quarry, and I had no identity. I was a nothing from nobody, just an old rock. And when that rock was hewn out of that pit, then the divine sculptor began chipping away that everything was not Jesus. Everything that didn't look like Jesus, it got chiseled away. Until finally, praise God, there was a beautiful bust and a beautiful polished picture of the Lord Jesus. Don't you hope and don't you pray that your life is to chisel out the likeness of the Savior. Don't you hope that every day of your life, that everything that is not, doesn't look like Jesus is chiseled away by the Father? When Michelangelo did his great sculpture work of David, they asked him, they said, this was begun by other sculptors, and they gave up on it. How did you go about this? He said, I just looked at everything that didn't look like David and cut it away, and cut it away. 
Jesus is so prevalent in our life that God is saying, I want to chisel away and remove everything that doesn't look like Jesus. Praise God. Lord, if that's the way it is, get the chisel out. Amen. And chisel on me all you need to chisel on me. If there's something there that doesn't need to be, praise God. Please, Lord Jesus, take the chisel out and cut that away from me. You see, there's a situation in our country that's going on now very similar to what was happening in, in Israel right here. When anyone that contended for old-fashioned morals and contended for the Judeo-Christian morality code and, and doing right and living right, you're now made fun of and the Saturday Night Live people say jokes about you and make fun of Christians who still believe in a God and still believe the Bible, still believe what God's Word says. Now you become the object of ridicule, and there's all kinds of sarcasm and fun poking at the people of God. But that's all right. That's all right. I said, that's all right. I said, that's all right. Because the Bible said, yea, and all they that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So if there is no persecution, then evidently there must not be much godly living going on. Because if you will live godly, the Bible said, there will be persecution. All them that live godly shall suffer persecution. Is anybody persecuting you? Anybody calling you Holy, Holy Joe or Holiness Hannah, Sunday School Sally? Anybody ever talk about you, run you down, ridicule you, misunderstand you, say mean things about you that they don't understand and don't really know what they're talking about? Well, that's what this Bible said would happen. In fact, Paul made this statement, Pastor Cosby. He said, we are made the off-scouring of the world. We are made as filth. We are made as garbage and rubbish because of what we believe about the Lord Jesus. I pray that we'll get to the time that we become so influential in our society that people feel the need to talk about us that way. You want people to talk mean and hateful about you, Pat? Yeah. Why? Because that lets you know that you're doing something. You see, if you're not doing something to invade the devil's territory, he'll leave you alone. If you're not doing anything to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the devil will leave you alone. If you're not doing anything to get young people off drugs and get people delivered from alcoholism and get people touched by the power and the deliverance of God, if you're doing nothing about that, the devil surely won't challenge you. But I'll tell you one thing for certain. When you start winning souls for God, the devil will put the gloves on and he'll beat the daylights out of you. He don't care about all of those mamby-pamby, milk toast kind of messages. He could care less, preach them all day. But when you stand and you tell people there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun, when you start preaching to people and telling them there's a judgment day coming when you've got to stand before God, when you start telling people that, that you'll be lost if you don't have the Lord Jesus, when you start telling people that only through the blood of the Lord Jesus can people be washed from their sins and washed from the iniquity that's in their life, only God's way, only God's truth, only God's word, only God's son. Hey, when you start preaching like that, you're invading territory. I'll tell you something else. When you start praying, when you start ringing the prayer bells of heaven, Satan will challenge you more about your prayer life than anything else. He really will. He'll challenge you about fasting. He'll challenge you about holding on to God and persevering. Amen. Somebody said, well, 
Brother Jerry, the reason I don't fast is I get the headache if I don't eat. Yeah. Brother, my belly goes to growling when I don't eat. I can't fast. Yeah. Boy, you're looking at this pastor this morning. You see, when you're willing to go that extra mile and you're willing to stand in the gap and make up the hedge, when you're willing to stay on your knees and pray until you've prayed, when you're willing to fast for someone's salvation and fast for God to get a message to someone, for the Holy Spirit to convict them of sin, when you stay on your knees until something happens, it's called push. Say push. 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 What does push mean? Pray until something happens. P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. Pray until God answers. And the Bible said, the prayers of effectual people, righteous people, people in good standing with God, those prayers, the Bible said, availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passion as we are. He's just a man like us, the Bible said. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain upon the earth. And the Bible said it did not rain for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. That means things happen when people pray. When people pray. They have a power with God that you can't get any other way. And the revival that we seek and the revival that we want only comes one way. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven and I'll heal their land, I'll forgive their sin. You see, God says, here's the formula. Here's the way you do this. This is what the Lord says to these people. Hearken unto me. Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness, you that seek the Lord, you that fast, you that pray, you that attend the uh, temple services, you go there. Jehovah is saying to these people, listen to me, for you alone are the ones who are troubled by the desolation and the fewness of the church, and you alone will be confronted, comforted by what I say to you in my word. The ungodly who lack faith will not be consoled by my promises. You know, the word of the Lord is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. But Jesus gave a parable, and he said, sometimes the word of the Lord falls on hard ground and never takes root. Sometimes the word of the Lord is scorched by the heat of the sun, and it doesn't have a chance. Sometimes he said the word of the Lord lands on ground that lacks moisture. And he said it springs forth for, uh, immediately, but then it withers away in process of time because it, the roots don't sink down deep enough. It lacks root. So when we're sitting here on Sunday morning, we're not just passing time. We're not just trying to fill in something from 11 to 11.30. What are we doing? We're going to do the one thing that God said will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish the purpose whereunto it's sent. The one thing God said won't fail. All flesh is as grass, and the grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. The word will stand when this world is on fire. The Word of God will endure everything. It will, it will stand the test. It will go with you through the waste places. That's why it's so important in these services that we chock full of the Word of God, that you leave here with your mouth full. It's what the Lord is saying to these people. It's true that the Word of the Lord is a rock. It's a rock. And the Bible said it grinds the stone to, to powder. Isaiah begins to pour in the comfort to these people by taking them to a quarry and says, look to that rock that God hewed you out of. Look to that, that quarry, these other places here where God brought you out of. But you see, when God is saying to us, don't forget your redemption, don't forget your salvation, 
when we used to have testimony meetings. Wednesday night was the longest service on the schedule. That was the night we testified. And some took 30 minutes to testify. I remember old brother Jack Carter, he'd get up and he'd say, I, I, to this Wednesday night, I'm pressing on up the highway. And it wouldn't be long till he'd be out in the aisle. Then he'd be down in the altar area. Then he'd walk back through the congregation, all over the house. But there's one thing that they all praise the Lord for. You know what that was? Salvation. Salvation. He saved me. The night he saved me. I, I love to hear people's conversion uh, experience. I love to hear them tell about what was going on the night they got saved. The night they got saved. I, I, they were, an old song we used to sing a long time ago when David's mother would come. She was old enough to know that song. I shouldn't have been old enough to know it, but I did anyway. I went there in spite but, oh, God, that night, God certainly got a hold of me. Well, something got a hold of me, praise God. Yes, something got a hold of me. I went there in spite. But, oh, God, that night, God certainly got a hold of me. I love to hear Pentecostals tell about their salvation experience. I love to hear them tell about the night that they prayed through to old-time salvation. Brother Ellie Talley used to tell about his, and his down pray, and he said, and he said I, I, I prayed that God, I'd get up to a certain point, and I, I just couldn't pray past that, and said it just kept coming back at me, and said that when I was a boy, I said there was a lady lived across the back of the property over there, and she had a bunch of guineas. And said, me and my boys and pals said, we went over and killed one of her guineas one day. And said, I was just praying for God to save me. And said, that just kept flying up. That guinea just kept flying up right in my face. And he said, well, I'll fix that first thing in the morning. And he said, I went over to that precious lady's house and said, I told her what I was there for. Said we when we were mean boys are piling around and fooling around, said we killed one of your guineas. And he said, I'm here to mow your yard, do whatever I can do to, to fix that. And said she broke out in a shout and praised the Lord. She said, Thank God. Said, when something gets on your heart and you're willing to do something about the lostness of your soul and you're willing to sacrifice and do whatever's necessary to get right relationship with God said, you go on your way, sonny boy, said, the Lord's touched you. He said, I got down to pray that night back in the altar and said, buddy, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Amen. I experienced such a joy, such a peace, such a grace, such a love. God's looking for people that will have salvation experiences like that. Hey, I'd like to hear your salvation story. Amen. I've heard you, some of you tell it. I was holding on to that bench as hard as I could hold on to it, Brother Jerry. I just literally just shaking. But I remember when I stepped out in that aisle and went down to that altar and God saved me. God saved me. You know, there are a lot of things that take place when people really get down to business with God. I was preaching a revival out at uh, Indian Springs out of Mobile, Alabama, out there at a little town they call Eight Mile. And I was out there preaching for Brother Franklin, Brother Hubert Franklin. And one night there was a young man came in. His name was Tippy, Tippy Cochran. And he came in, sat in the back of the house. And Brother Parrish, when I preached that night and gave the invitation, he stepped out and came down the aisle, knelt over in the altar area over there and began praying. And he got up and walked up to me and, and he said, said, I think I, I, I got what you preached about tonight. He said, uh, what do I do next? I said, well, you need to ask the Lord to sanctify you. You feel like the Lord's uh, saved you from all your sin? Yes. You think he's forgiven you? You become a new creature in Christ? Yes, sir. 
I said, well, then it's time to start walking in the beauty of holiness then. It's time to you to get sanctified and get that, that nature out of you that causes people to sin. Kill that old Adamic nature. He said, okay. So he went back down and he got down on his knees and was praying John in that altar. And in a minute I saw him with his antennas up like this. Then a minute he walked back up there where I was, Ann, and he looked at me and he said, what's next? I said, you mean you think you've already got sanctified? He said, well, let me tell you what it felt like, and you can tell me whether I did. He said, there was something burning going on inside of me. He said, I, I felt like I was just on fire there for a minute. And said, it just went all over me and down into my hands and my arms. And I, I just felt a, a fire, a burning. Said it was, it just felt like it just burned out everything that wasn't supposed to be in there. And I said, well, that sounds like sanctified to me. He said, well, what do I do now? I said, just open up your heart and ask the Lord to give you the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He said, okay. And I hadn't turned around good and praying with other people in the altar area and looked around and, brother, he had his standing up on top of the altar. That blessed old Baptist boy, I mean, he really got it all, didn't he? <laughs> Buddy, he just rejoiced and shouted. He was a student at University of South Alabama. And of all classes that he had the next day was speech class. And Jeff, he had to deliver a speech in the speech class. And he said he got up and he started reading his speech. And he said, I read a few lines of it and said, I shut that thing. He said, what I got to do is I got to tell you all what happened to me last night said, I was out at 8 Mile last night and said, I went to church and said, there's a man out there they call Brother Jerry and said, he's told me about a joy that I could have in the Lord. And I, I just went to the altar and said, when I left that altar, I was full of the joy and peace with God and had a power in my heart and said, I just think, thank God for that event last night and what he did. And the instructor told him, so well, you need to take a seat. So this is not the time nor the place for that. He walked over and sat down and said, after class was over and dismissed, Lisa said, all of his friends started coming around and said, where'd you say this was? Said, it's out in Eight Mile. It's a little place out there at Indian Springs and a little church of God. And said, I tell you what, if you'll go with me tonight, God will do for you what he did for me. So when Trippy came in that night, he brought about 15 with him from that class. And before they left there that night, they had what Trippy had. They experienced what he experienced. You see, evangelism is nothing but one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I was preaching in muscle shows. Pardon me for telling you things. I was preaching at Muscle Shoals, strong country for people that hate Pentecost with a passion. And I was about to go to the pulpit to preach that night, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to preach tonight on, so this is Pentecost. I said, well, Lord, I'm not prepared to preach that tonight. I'm going to preach on something else. He said, you preach tonight on, so this is Pentecost. There were some folks that had come to that service tonight to learn what doctrine we were preaching and how they could contradict it and how they could prove it to be untrue. How they could call it false doctrine. But you know what? When I gave the altar call that night, the pastor's wife stepped out in the aisle and here she came. Her husband came after her. He wasn't coming to the altar. He was coming to catch her. And tell her, you're not going to do that. But before he could get, you're not going to, she'd already got down there. And brother, when she made it to her knees, there was a glory that is unspeakable. There was a peace. There was a joy. There was a glow. There was an anointing. There was a freedom. There was a deliverance. There was a release. And brother... 
the old pastor husband decided he might better join in. And it wasn't long before he had both hands up in the air. It wasn't long before he felt the Holy Spirit in his life. All five of them, three of their deacons and the pastor and his wife, was baptized in the Holy Ghost when they left there that night. You believe God knows who's coming to church? You believe God knows how to tell preachers what to preach? You believe God knows how to deliver and God knows how to lead and God knows how to direct? You see, God knows all things and knows every man's heart and knows every man's life. And he sends his word. And when he sends his word, he sends it with power and he sends it with anointing and he sends it with grace and forgiveness and love. He'll do for you what no other power can do. Bless his name. Bless his name. And that night, those people left there. They started a church immediately because they knew they couldn't go back to their pulpit. The founder of this church was a Methodist evangelist, an itinerant evangelist out on Sand Mountain, a little old community out there. And he was teaching school in a one-room uh, school, church, school, slash. And when he got the Pentecostal blessing, he was fired as the teacher of the school and told that he couldn't preach anymore in the church. Stepped across the line, said, show me where the property line is. And J.B. Ellis stepped across that, that line, and he said, all of you that want to know the Lord and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, said, you're going to need to step across that line because we're not welcome on that side. When they stepped across that line and became charter members of Foster's Chapel Church of God, I like sometimes when I'm going that way toward Asheville, I'll pull off and go to the graveyard over there where J.B. Ellis is buried. They got their huge tombstone there. He came to this town in 1917, put up a tent in Zen Park and started preaching Pentecost and knowing God, being saved, knowing the Lord and the power of His Spirit. Seventeen charter members he organized after that tent revival, Susan. I've got that picture sitting on my desk over in the old building and it, that, that stares at me all the time. I wish that I could bring those 17 people down that aisle and set them right down there in this building. And I'd I just like to see the expression on their face. Might be close to what Barbara had on her face yesterday. That they could see that what they started over 100 years ago is still alive and well. I want to tell you that the grace of God is alive and well. I need to tell you that the baptism in the Holy Ghost is still alive and well. I want to tell you that sanctification subsequent to cleansing is alive and well. I want to tell you that Jesus is Lord is alive and well. I want to tell you that Jesus is risen from the dead is alive and well. I want to tell you that Jesus is coming soon is alive and well. I want to tell you that that resurrection just around the corner and it's live and it's well. I think God's word is as fresh as the dew upon the freshly mown grass. I believe that God is still able today just as much as ever before to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we're able to think of or to ask. And he's saying to us today, don't forget the pit from which you were dug. Don't forget the rock. Touch your neighbor and say, don't forget the rock. Don't forget the rock. Remember this. Hide me, O blessed rock of ages. That rock is a rock of ages. I've hid in that rock many a time. That rock is called the rock of salvation. That rock is called the chief cornerstone of the building. That rock is called the stone of stumbling. That rock is called the stone which the builders mis disallowed has become the head of the corner. That rock has been called a lively stone that's built up a spiritual house. Oh, I could preach a long time about that rock. 
when I first came to Harvest, one of the first songs I sung when I got to. Where do I go when there's no one else to turn to? Who do I lean on when there's no foundation stable? Who do I lean on in the time of tribulation? I go to that rock of my foundation. I go to the rock. I go to the rock of my salvation. Go to the stone that the builders rejected. I run to the mountain, and the mountain stands by me. Well, the earth all around me is sinking sand. On Christ, that solid rock, I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I go to that rock. Don't you ever forget the rock. Don't ever forget the rock. Don't ever forget the rock. Don't ever forget where God brought us from. Don't ever forget what God did for us. Don't ever forget the rock. Stand with me, please. The rock. The rock of my salvation. The rock. Oh, brother, jolly at Alabama City, blessed old man of God. He said, Brother Jerry, he'd smack his lips. He said, Brother Jerry, the old devil has wrestled me all over that rock, but he had never got me off of that rock. Wallered me all over that rock, but he's never got me off of that rock. Brother, if you'll just stay on the rock, if you'll just keep, keep the rock in memory, keep in mind what the rock means to every one of us, every one of us. Wade H. Horton was an old drunkard traveling from town to town, walked into a little Pentecostal preacher's mission in Kannapolis, North Carolina. He walked in and sat on the back seat. The preacher preached that night, and Wade Horton stepped into the aisle and walked down and gave his heart to God. God saved him, sanctified him, filled him with the Holy Ghost. He began preaching God's Word, and he became the general overseer of the church of God. What a testimony. John Jernigan, just an old hobo and a gambler and a drunk, but God saved him and made him general overseer of the church of God. If you ever travel down through Key West, there's only one way in, one way out. Whereas a little church of God sits out there near the end of the peninsula. And that blessed little fella, he's been there for a long, long time. One night a taxi cab pulled up to the church and the pastor and his wife was out there cleaning up the church. Taxi cab let a girl out. She was dressed in shorts and a halter top. She walked in the door of that church and that pastor's wife went back and embraced her and met her. Brought her in, prayed with her. She sat down on the altar and began telling her story. She said, I ran away from home when I was 16 years old. Said, I have lived an awful life. I've done every kind of sin that you can imagine. Every kind of shameful, reproachful thing. But she said, but I've reached the end of my road. And I don't know anybody, don't have anybody. And said, my mother raised me in the church of God. And she said this to me when I ran away. She said, if you ever get in trouble, find a church of God and they'll help you. Find a church of God somewhere and they'll help you. That pastor prayed with that girl, got her out to the parsonage. She spent the night. They went and bought a bus ticket to send her back home to her mama. The phone call she made was, yes, mama, it's really me. Said, I, I prayed tonight 
with a pastor here in Key West, Florida. And they're going to buy me a ticket home, and I'm going home. I'm coming home, Mama. She left that next morning going home, and pastor had church, went out, sitting in his chair, Michael, that afternoon, a taxi cab pulled up in the driveway of the parsonage. And a cab driver got out and walked up to that pastor's parsonage and knocked on the door. Here's what he said, Carlos. He said, Pastor, I want to become a member of your church. He said, what? He said, I want to join your church. I want to be a member of your church. He said, why do you want to be a member of my church? He said, I watched yesterday when I let that girl out of the cab and said, I saw your wife put her arms around that girl and hug her and love her. And I saw how y'all took her in and treated her. And he said, I want to be a member of a church like that. Let me tell you this. If you're here and you just about lost heart, you've prayed for a loved one to be saved and you've just about given up, don't give up. I said, don't give up. Don't give up. Eugene Reynolds is one of my dearest friends in the whole wide world. He had a daughter. Her name was Rhonda. She'd run away from home. She'd been gone two years. They didn't anybody know where she was. Brother Reynolds went to the his study. It was a Sunday morning, Brother Charlie, and he got out on his knees and said, God, I can't do this anymore. My daughter's been gone for two years, and I don't know if she's alive or dead. I don't know where she is. And I, I've got to get up this morning and preach to people about a God who can do anything. And God, I, I don't know if I can do that. And said, God spoke to him and said, get up from where you're praying Go over to the phone, get an overseas operator back at that time, and said, call Wendy's in Barcelona, Spain. He got up and walked over to the phone and had that overseas operator to get on the line and connect him to Wendy's in Barcelona, Spain. He said, a, a man answered the phone. He said, this is Wendy's, but said, it's four in the morning. We're closed. said, I just came in early to do some books and stuff before we open up. He said, is there a girl there named Rhonda Reynolds? He says, no, there's nobody here but me. Man, it's four o'clock in the morning. He said, well, would you go outside and look and see if a blonde-headed, tall, slender girl is there? And he walked outside and looked up the sidewalk, and here came a tall, blonde-headed, slender girl. And he said, is your name Rhonda Reynolds? She said, yes, it is. He said, well, your daddy is on the phone, and he wants to talk to you. Do you believe God can find somebody in Barcelona, Spain? Do you believe God... Jeff Wilson, before long, she was on a flight back to America, back home. Got her life straightened out. Got her heart right with God. Living for the Lord. I want to tell you, God can do what no other power can do. Don't you give up. Don't you be disencouraged. Don't you let that old disencouraging spirit get on you. You, you remain encouraged and be lifted up. Be strong, therefore, in the Lord and in the power of his might, the Bible said. Don't give one inch. For they that believe the Lord and they that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God is still the God of the mountains, and he's God of the valley. He's God everywhere. He's God at any time. He's God for everybody. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you, God. Stretch your hand toward me, Lord Jesus. I thank you this morning for reminding us once again there is a rock of salvation. Thank you for reminding us once again that if we'll look to the rock from whence we were hewn and the pit from whence we were dug, that there's inspiration 
that'll help us go another mile and take another step and live for God another day and keep believing. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the anointing to preach today, and I ask you, God, to help, help every one of us to have this in our heart, that we be not forgetful hearers, but doers of the Word of God. Don't let us, O oh Lord, be forgetful, but help us, Lord, to remember the pit from whence we're dug. Bless your church as we go out these doors to be the light and salt in this community and in this world. And that's our prayer in Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you and God go with you is my prayer. You hold on to God. Say, I will. I will. You better believe it. I will. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one.